0: Mental health is important at every stage of life, and awareness and education are key to breaking down the walls of stigma. While there's more discussion and focus on mental health and the perception of mental illness has improved, there's still a significant number of people who go untreated, deterred by fear of being labeled as mad and sometimes the unwillingness to endure pill shaming and shame. Today on Chat Chat, we have Dr. Sharon Harvey, who is a psychiatrist working in private practice, She's also an Associate Lecturer with the University of the West indies Hill Campus and a member of the Barbados Drug Formulary Committee. Dr. Harvey has also worked as a consultant at the Psychiatric Hospital and the Queen Elizabeth Hospital and is a former committee member of the World Psychiatric Association. Welcome, Dr. Harvey, and thanks for joining us
1: today. Right, thank you, and hello, right.
0: So I think we could probably begin with establishing what is the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist.
1: Right, that's fine, because this is something that comes up sort of quite frequently that, that persons yes. are very curious about. Um, well, I mean, there, there are commonalities in that we are both dealing with sort of emotions and behaviors and stuff to do with the brain. But the, the basic difference is that a psychiatrist is a um, fully qualified medical practitioner. So mm-hmm. I would have done the full medical training, including as well as medicine, surgery, pediatrics, obstetrics, gynecology. So it's it's a um, fully trained medically pra- medical practitioner who then specializes in psychiatry. Okay. A, so a psychologist is not a, a medical doctor. They would have done a bachelor's or master's or a PhD in psychology. So that's that's the, the basic difference. I mean, and, and often on a practical level, it comes down to things like medication. And that, as a medical practitioner, mm-hmm. I can prescribe medication. A psychologist would not be able to do that. But there is a great area of overlap because when it comes to the talking therapies, yes. Then we would both be able to do the talking therapies, and often psychologists, as part of their training, um, would do some of the more complicated testing, I mean like either um, in testing about intelligence or personality or
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, suitability for what type of employment, those sort of battery of, of, of tests and, and um, their analysis. Um, would be more the province of a um, psychologist. Okay. And so, I mean, there are times when we work together because the psychologist may already have um, been established seeing someone for the talking therapies, but recognize that um, because of the degree of the person's illness, that it may need more Mm -hmm. than the, the talking therapy and may need medication in addition. Okay. And and so we would work together.
0: Okay. So I mean you you did mention working together with the psychologist. So how do people right. generally end up in your office? Is it by referral or people tend to seek out you on their own?
1: Um it's a combination of I guess all of the above. Okay. Um some I think quite often um persons are um, encouraged by perhaps a friend or family member who has, um, you know, previously sought assistance either from myself or, or a psychiatrist. And they encourage the person that, you know, maybe you might need some help. And I know of this person. And I mean, it, and it's it's really helpful um, when the new patient feels well, if that person's went and they got through, okay, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. I can probably go as well. Okay. So sometimes it's that sort of informal referral. Okay. Sometimes persons self-refer in that they themselves recognize, you know, maybe I need some help with this. Perhaps I should, should seek someone out. And they may go through the yellow pages or the internet or something and, and you know, just yeah. decide. Got it. And referrals also come from other um, practitioners, other medical practitioners, either in other specialties or in family medicine who recognize, okay, I'm seeing the person for whatever condition, but I can, they're picking up that in addition, there may be um, some psychiatric illnesses or, or conditions mm-hmm. that might need some attention. Okay. And so referrals can come from doctors as well.
0: Okay. So, I mean, mental health disorders can refer to a wide range of mental health conditions. That's correct. So, what would you say are some of the main conditions you see generally? And have you found that there are conditions more prevalent in men, you know, as opposed to women?
1: Okay. Um, So, just before I do that, perhaps it might be useful to lay some... sort of background information, okay. because it's important that we recognize that um, what we see as mental illness, psychiatric disorders Mm -hmm. are really physical disorders. They are medical disorders, because we understand, okay, I have diabetes. Okay, I have high blood pressure. I have a thyroid problem. I can understand that those are physical conditions and I... But if I have a um, psychiatric disorder, let's state depression, often persons get worried that it's, you know, it's like something not really medical. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's some kind of airy fairy thing. <laughs> yes. But, um, but depression and the other psychiatric disorders are really um, disorders of brain chemistry Mm-hmm. So, in the same way that diabetes is a disorder of the the chemistry of the pancreas and the um, not not enough insulin and so on, what we see as psychiatric disorders are physical conditions. It's to do with the chemistry of the brain not um, functioning in in a sort of smooth way, so that that there there are problems because the brain communicates within itself um, through chemicals. Mm -hmm. And so if they're either flowing too much or too little or the sensitivity to them is somehow um, altered, then we will get the symptoms that we call psychiatry. Um, So I just wanted to lay that little sort of background. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Main conditions that um, would be seen the most common ones would be things like depression and anxiety, which in turn are often related to stress. If we get stressed enough, we will develop depression or anxiety, um, because, again, back to the to the sort of brain chemistry. And. um, depression and anxiety are extremely common. I mean, the World Health Organization now has depression at the number one um, illness worldwide in terms of causing um, disability and like days home from work and so yeah. on. And that's not out of just psychiatric illnesses. That's looking at all medical illness. So that includes the same diabetes, hypertension.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's but now recognized that depression is really in the kind of number one position
2: that's
0: pretty significant
1: yes um because if we look at mental illnesses or psychiatric illnesses in a whole we have to to recognize it's like one in five persons will have some challenge at some point in their lives so that's that's very common and then we add the fact that depression and anxiety are the commonest of, mm-hmm. of the lot, um, then we're down to maybe like sort of one in three persons. Um, and certainly if you're female, you have double the possibility of getting depression compared um, to males. Okay. And and, you know, that's been quite sort of rigorously researched now. So it's, it's, it's quite um, definite. In contrast, when we look at things like alcohol problems or addiction problems, that is twice as common in men as it okay, is okay.
0: in women. Interesting.
1: And, yeah, I spell that There are two possibilities there. Um, in women, it's, there certainly is a hormonal link the female hormone estrogen does seem to be linked with um, depression. And it's also felt that women are better at recognizing, acknowledging that they're ill and seeking assistance.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: On on the other hand, uh, it's felt that men tend to more sort of keep it in and may um, seek more alcohol or other addictions instead. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are those various possibilities, but, but, anxiety exactly. depression are ones where the differences between males and females is more um, clearly seen in other conditions like bipolar or manic depressive illness or schizophrenia they, there's no difference in the, between the sexes it's about the same okay. um, risk for both
0: um, when, you know, when people do seek your services do they generally struggle right. to accept your diagnosis or do they find a bit of relief in maybe the certainty of, you know, knowing, okay, now I understand.
1: Send. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's it's usually more the latter in that persons have before they they actually get to be seen, would have been there worrying, you know, is this something really terrible? Am I going to have to be admitted to hospital? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to lose it? What's going to happen? And often when they they then um get to the office and i say oh but yeah this happens to persons all over yeah the world you know it's anxiety and de- or depression and we understand you know how it comes about and explain about the the physical nature of the um brain chemistry and how the stress hormones influence brain chemistry and so you know we can then follow they they can then follow along as to oh I see you know how that um, came about yeah and then we get into then the techniques of okay you know this is what we can now do about it right Um, so I would say more fits into relief often persons are just very relieved that it's understood mm-hmm. and it's not something weird that, yes. you know, that they've got. Yeah.
0: Okay. So um, what would you say are the main barriers that maybe keep people from seeing you?
1: Right. Well, as, as you mentioned, there's um, stigma. stigma. I mean, and that's both kind of external and internal explain why. Um, so the external one, which is, uh, you know, generally how, person sort of view psychiatric illness I think is gradually improving um, mm-hmm. yeah. because unfortunately it's still left over from a time when we didn't understand maybe we still don't fully understand the brain but at least we, we understand it a little, a little bit, bit more better. than we did yeah. <laughs> yeah 50 years ago and so there are treatments that are more clearly defined and effective both in terms of medication as well as in terms of the talking therapies. So, you know, it's actually possible to bring about improvement. And I think persons are still often remember from back when there there weren't those possibilities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it seemed like, you know, once you had any type of psychiatric illness, you were then like doomed for life or yes. something like that, uh, which is now <laughs> not the case. Um, so. Yeah, so I think we still have some of that leftover um, stigma. But as I said, I, I I see it improving, even if I look back over my sort of practice over the last probably like 30 years or so, mm-hmm. um, that persons are more willing to come and um, seek help. Sometimes, as I said, even referring themselves and okay. and, rec- um, and recognizing. So the other aspect of, of stigma is... Um, you know, persons feel like I shouldn't need help. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a big person. I should be able to manage this. You know, I, I would be seen as weak mm-hmm. if yeah. I ask for assistance. So let me manage this on my own. Um, because sometimes they're the person that maybe the whole family looks up to as the yes. go-to person. If I have a problem, yes, she would help you. Yeah, so the go-to person isn't supposed to ever need mm-hmm. assistance. Yes. They're just supposed to be there and be available. <laughs> um, so if you're that person, then it's, it, it is difficult to, um, you know, to recognize and acknowledge that I can ask for help. That's, that's okay to do that. Um, so that's why sometimes the stigma comes from, yeah, what we feel persons are thinking but sometimes it also comes from within ourselves yeah,
0: what we think of, of ourselves. yeah mm-hmm. what we think
1: of ourselves and and feeling that we should be able to to manage
0: okay so i mean as you said stigma is you know one of the main barriers to people seeking you out but I was just wondering if in some ways there is like an extra stigma so to speak in psychiatry because of perhaps the need for psychiatric drugs and you know even the possibility of institutionalization which right
1: yeah okay well uh because hopefully we are going to change the terminology as well because um because again, back to my example of diabetes and hypertension, if, mm-hmm. I, if I have diabetes and it gets out of control, I just say I'm going into hospital. Yes. Okay. So in the same way, I mean, with someone with a psychiatric illness, I mean, where it's, it's then at a level that can't be managed um, as an outpatient. Then they're just going into hospital for treatment. So that, 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 that makes sense. <laughs> we wouldn't use the term institutionalization because that's again from, you know, 50 mm-hmm. plus years ago.
0: Okay. Um, so it makes sense to me. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. So, but words matter. So it's, it's important that we, uh, you know, that we remember that, it's, it's, um, that psychiatric illness is just part of the range of medical. Um, <laughs> Medical conditions. Um, And also with the idea of of medication, again, if we have other medical conditions, we recognize the importance of taking medication in some situations. In the same way, I mean, with psychiatric um, illnesses, then it's useful if we can see that, okay, medication is also in the same vein to, to help manage the situation because, um, you don't want to be not taking medication out of fear of the medication while your condition gets worse. Yeah. Uh, because things like depression, I mean, if I'm, if I have depression and I don't seek assistance, then it interferes with my interpersonal relationships. It interferes with my ability to concentrate and function at work. So I might be in jeopardy then at losing my job, which then has a whole set of other mm-hmm. consequences. Yes, it's true. So we have to weigh all of all of that up, and recognize that you know, um, getting assistance is is an important factor, and the feelings about. Um, medications used in, in psychiatric illness I think again goes back to an earlier time with some of the earlier medications mm-hmm. and that were not as sort of fine-tuned and persons worry about um, you know severity of side effects
2: yes yes
1: um, because our more current medications mean, have less side effects but we can never get rid of all side effects mm-hmm. because if I drink enough water, water has side effects and, but we have to drink water. I Maybe mean, don't say <laughs> I'm not drinking water because it may have side effects. Um, so, you know, we try to keep the side effects to as much of a minimum as, as possible. And I think once it's, it's properly discussed um, with the patient, then they, along with the, the doctor can, you know, determine how much to weigh the side effects versus, as mm-hmm. I said, the possible consequences
2: okay. of not
1: taking any treatment At all, and yeah. becoming worse. Um, where there then, you know, consequences that may be irreversible. If you lose your job and then the depression gets better, you may not get back your job. Yeah. You know, then that's something permanent that has occurred. Um, and not just in terms of job but if um if again the depression stays and gets worse then i may you know begin to have ideas of suicide and may harm myself which perhaps could have been avoided had you know treatment been um agreed to at an earlier stage yeah when it would have been been easier to manage
0: yeah i mean you make an interesting point about, you know there are the more modern or different drugs now you know, some of the names we know you know just as easily as maybe fast food restaurants and <laughs> right like, you right. know like Prozac and Zoloft right, and that, right. that kind of right. thing right. Um, but you know we talk about yes um, people do need drugs um, are there any concerns about you know like long-term dependency or challenges in weaning people off those
1: right drugs? well with certainly with the antidepressants um, my job is often the opposite My job is trying to um, persuade persons to continue them (laughs) for a bit longer Uh, because antidepressants take like a few weeks before they start to work. But once they've started to work and the research suggests that you should remain on it at least in the first instance for like six months to a year Mm -hmm. before stopping. But quite often, persons, once they've begun to feel well, thinking, well, why am I taking this yeah. tablet? I'm feeling perfectly fine. I'll okay. just stop taking the tablets." Okay. Um, so there's not a problem with stopping.
0: Fair enough.
1: It's more of a problem of, of continuing. Oh, that's, that's um, <laughs> the, the, um, <laughs> the medications are often persons think about and, and sort of put everything under that umbrella which isn't correct are often more like the sedative medications Mm -hmm. that may get started mainly for the treatment of, um, or the management of anxiety. Uh, Because they're sedative medications, your body kind of accommodates to them. And so when you're stopping them, you need to sort of slowly wean off. Because Mm -hmm. If you stop it suddenly your your body's and your brain is saying like, wait, what went on there? Ah, Something, you know, I just, (laughs) just threw me over a cliff or something. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so those are the ones that, yeah, that we are careful about um, use of and, and sort of slowly tapering off. Mm-hmm. Um, but things like um, antidepressants or even what we call antipsychotics for persons who are having um, more a condition where they may be having hallucinations, hearing voices, or having false beliefs. Those sorts of medications, yeah. It, again, we're still in the job of trying to persuade the person to, to continue to, to for, the, for the best length of time rather okay. than stopping.
0: Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, I guess the other thing was we talked about, you know, what causes uh, mental illness, you know, some hormonal changes in the brain and that kind of thing. Right. But I was also curious if there's a link between social factors and mental illness.
1: Yes. Yes, and um, I think any social factor that acts through stress mm-hmm. is going to, um, to increase the risk of, of, um, of psychiatric illness.
2: Okay.
1: And, and that probably includes all the social factors um, because, <laughs> uh, because stress is, is certainly commonplace um, throughout our lives. Uh, work-related stress, I mean, is, uh, quite a major one. I mean, and it can be work-related stress in that actively at work or work-related stress because you're now out of work right, and right. are seeking, um, work. So that's stressful. Also what's happening, um, at home, relationship stress, whether there's, you know, domestic, um, violence, whether there's sort of sexual abuse occurring, um, at home or even outside of the home has one been in a traumatic accident or you know been robbed or something um, mm-hmm. so these are all um, stress factors that cause the release of um, yes a set of stress hormones in our in our bodies and mm-hmm. okay there is, as that is circulating in the bloodstream, it goes to the brain as well and back to the changing of the brain chemistry so that we then feel depressed, not able to cope, feel anxious, not able to concentrate. And, um, and then our whole sort of functioning, whether it's at home, at work, if we we're trying to be studying, we we're at school, Um, all of those areas then start to become affected. Okay. Uh, Sorry, but before we leave social, because it's important to remember that social works in in both directions. So Mm -hmm. the, the stress at work and so on may lead us to become anxious or depressed. But even if we become anxious and depressed and we can't put our finger on why that has occurred, the fact of being anxious and depressed may then put strain um, on our, our work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can work in both directions. So that yeah. when, when someone says, I've lost, I, we find someone is depressed and they've lost their job, we have to then tease out did they lose their job and that made them depressed
0: or, or okay. did they
1: become depressed and that then, caused them to lose really- their job. Fair because enough. of not concentrating
0: yeah mm-hmm. okay so um the world as we know it is changing every day um so i was actually wondering about the future of psychiatry in terms of right. you know, some of these kind of different initiatives so things like digital phenotyping where you know data is collected on right smart devices right. and they can help you with you know tracking yeah. markers so, and that kind of thing right um and also things like virtual and augmented reality so i'm just wondering is that the future is that something we can expect to see more of or i don't know i'm just curious
1: (laughs) right well i think it's at the point of being no there's no active research and so on has started looking into that because um at one time we would have thought oh no way i mean we must see the person Mm -hmm. face-to-face I mean you can't do an assessment on someone that's not there living and breathing right in in front of you (laughs) Um, but that's changed because yes there is teletherapy where it's at a remote and what I found interesting is that with COVID and the lockdown um, I think that more of us have gotten involved in the teletherapy telemedicine Mm -hmm. aspect of it yeah because it wasn't a choice really. And I think that we're finding, I think both from the perspective of the therapist or doctor and the patient, that um, it works better than we thought it would have done. (laughs) Yeah. And and so I think definitely that aspect will, you know, pick up speed and and move on. The other area that's interesting, yeah, is, is the digital phenotyping that you spoke about where Yeah, data is collected on an ongoing basis and then sort of tabulated and and analyzed to see how the patient has been managing when not in in the session. Yeah. Um, And that's still somewhat in the infant stages, but the thing is, already lots of data is being collected Mm -hmm. because more and more persons are wearing. Um, you know, like the Fitbit
2: Fitbit, smart
1: watch thing, which I'm looking at mine here. Um, No me
0: too, me too. (laughs) And
1: and that already gathers information about like how we're sleeping, Mm -hmm. what our pulse rate is doing during the course of the day. And that can be very helpful. I mean, with someone who say has anxiety, I mean, if it's possible to look back at what's been happening to their pulse rate over, let's say, a number of days. Then I mean, we might be able to pick up, gosh, your pulse rate increased there. What do you remember what was happening then? Mm-hmm. Or have, you know, the person just do a reflection over the day and see what was happening at the times when their pulse rate increased. And also sometimes persons say, you know, I'm having difficulty sleeping. I didn't sleep at all last night or I couldn't drop off or I woke up early. And at the moment, we, you know, just have to take the verbal um, explanation. And sleep is a difficult thing because you can sometimes feel you didn't sleep at all because you wake up feeling like, no, I didn't sleep. Mm -hmm. When in fact, you may have slept and not even be aware. So things like picking up that sort of um, digital information would be helpful in actually, yeah, clearly defining what's been happening with sleep and, and, uh, and so on.
0: Okay,
1: And they're finding even other ways where um, to determine if you're like depressed and so you're slowed down in your actions, you know, it it would know the the speed at which you normally type in your WhatsApp messages. Mm -hmm.
2: And then the phone
1: would pick Mm -hmm. up that you're typing slower than you normally do.
0: Okay. Interesting. So there are all
1: sorts of um, little ways that that can be used.
0: Okay, okay, that's cool. Um, so I mean, we talked about the tech side. Um, then on the, I guess, the medication side, um, th- there's been discussion about, you know, psychedelic drugs like LSD, which obviously have been would have been banned about a half a century ago. But you know, there's some who consider that. They are useful, or could be useful, I should say, in helping with some kinds of conditions. So, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. If you think you know that kind of treatment will be revisited at some point. uh
1: well, difficult to say. Yes. Um okay. The <laughs> the yes, I think they've been looking at like LSD and some of the other hallucinogenic ones, also yes. including um, ketamine. Is that 's uh, yeah gotten very much press um, yeah. <laughs> recently uh, so with LSD it may be um, there have tried some uh, using it in persons with like anxiety
2: mm-hmm. and
1: in fact alcohol abuse disorder and with ketamine um, depression and some um, addictions as well but it's it's at the very early Mm -hmm. stages and uh, some research has been done which is showing some promise but at the moment they're sort of very small sample size Mm -hmm. and very few of them have been done so it's I think it's just like to watch this space and see if it pans (laughs) out to be helpful or not because um, I think they're some a couple of, Maybe a couple of specialist areas, especially centers in the United States that have started using um, ketamine, but as a very much as a last resort. So the person can only be accepted for the trial of ketamine if, and this is for, let's say, depression, if they've already exhausted all Mm -hmm. other treatments for depression and absolutely nothing has worked. worked.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And then it's, it's very sort of the, the management and the treatment and the ketamine is very, has very narrow protocols. Um, so it's an interesting thought, but, um, not at the point where it's, um, in in general medical use, and I don't know whether we will get get to that point.
0: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Right. So lastly, um, you know, I'm just curious what you would say is the most common misconception about maybe what you do or your line of work?
1: Um, Well, I don't don't know if it's a common one. I mean, what's interesting is often when patients come in, they're looking around for the couch. <laughs> um, because as seen on television. As seen mean, on some, TV, it's true. Right. That <laughs> if you're going to a psychiatrist, there should be um, a couch to sort of lay on. I'm not saying that that could not be done. But um, I think that uh, persons often aren't expecting that I'm going you know, to see a doctor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in the same way that I sit and have a chat with my general practitioner, I'm going to sit and have a, um, a chat, um, with this, this person. Okay. Because in, in doing an assessment, we take what we call a, a sort of psychiatric history, which means going back, you know, growing up and getting a sense of the person over time. Yeah. And I think that sometimes persons aren't expecting that. You know, I think they may be feeling that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to this thing. There's a person they're just going to talk to me two talk minutes me. And, yeah. and then they're going to write the prescription. <laughs> and that's going to be to be it. So it, it's understanding that no, I mean and to assess a new person, you know, can take like an hour to mm-hmm. do that. And it's um, and really it's ent- entering into an agreement with the patient, that we are working on this together. Together, okay. Yeah, I am not doing this to you. Mm-hmm. We are together going to have a discussion and figure out, well, you know, what seems acceptable, what seems not. And, um, and also that they will continue to have responsibility for their management, you see what I mean. Because okay, yes. it's not like, you know, I'm the parent figure who's taking all
0: um, power
1: from you, yes, mm-hmm. power and responsibility. We're together, um, going to, you know, to work through this because, um, especially with medications, there we have various options. And since, as I said, it's important to try, let's say, with depression, for the person to take the medication, hopefully for at least about six months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it has to be a medication that they're comfortable with. You know, because otherwise you're not going to take it. Okay, so, yeah. and each individual is different. So, we work together to see okay, right, yeah, this one feels more comfortable. I'll go with this one. Okay. Um, and uh, so, I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, point, it, it but, did. Um, it did. You know, yeah,
0: it, it did. It did. So, uh, I, I mean, well, now I have a follow up. Uh, have you been thinking about getting a coach or not really?
1: Oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I might lie down on it and fall asleep myself. <laughs> Um, no, okay. I mean, we just try to have comfortable chairs okay. Because, yeah, we don't want anybody falling asleep <laughs> um, Yeah, so that we can, you know, have a discussion Fair enough uh, About things
0: okay. So thank yes. you so much, Dr. Harvey, for joining us today It was insightful and okay. useful to discuss some of the more taboo elements right. of mental right. illness So hopefully the listeners find this episode useful and these conversations continue
1: to become commonplace. Right. Thank you. That's important. So you're doing a good job there.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you. All right. Okay.
0: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join us every other Wednesday for another episode of Shack Subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also connect with us on IG, Facebook, and Twitter, or by email at akelia at Let's shake things up.